Thank you, David and Leah, and thank you, Bridge Kids, for being with us. You are dismissed. Go and be with your teachers this morning. The rest of us are going to be in Acts chapter 10, so I want to encourage you to grab a Bible, your smartphone, and uh, find Acts chapter 10. Most people like to think that we are enlightened, uh, tolerant, and unprejudiced people. However, according to the Wall Street Journal and an article in Newsweek, uh, we aren't so unbiased as we think. For example, Newsweek reports that um, although we like to believe that beauty runs only skin deep, research shows that it pays to be good-looking. Uh, Newsweek concluded that in all elements of the workplace, from the hiring to politics to promotions, looks matter, and they matter hard. So here's some of the research. Favoritism happens. 57% of hiring managers believe an unattractive but qualified job candidate will have a harder time getting hired. Favoritism continues. 68% of hiring managers believe that once hired, looks will affect the way managers rate an employee's job performance. I won't ask you to vote whether you agree with this. Um, Your looks matter more than your resume. 59% of hiring managers advise spending as much uh, time and money on making sure that you look attractive as perfecting your resume. And it's worse for women. 61% of hiring managers, and 60% of them were men, said that women would benefit from wearing clothes that show off their figure. Although 75% of Americans are overweight, about 66% of managers said they thought some managers would hesitate before hiring someone who is significantly overweight. And we also judge old people. I guess that would be me. 84% of managers said that their bosses would hesitate before hiring a qualified candidate who looked much older than his or her co-workers. And then uh, lastly, we think favoritism based on looks is okay. 64% of hiring managers said they believe companies should be allowed to hire people based on looks. So some people are biased when it comes to um, the workplace. Another example from Wall Street Journal reports that many of us have a hidden bias against people with a foreign accent. It stated that the further from native-sounding an accent is, the harder we have to work and the less trustworthy we perceive the information to be. Um, Researchers found that the heavier the accent, the more skeptical participants became. In other words, if it sounds like you're not from around here, my suspicion radar is on high alert, my bias about you isn't about your character, it's based on the fact that you you don't talk like me. In the first century, there uh, were hidden bias and not-so-hidden bias, just like today. There was racial discrimination, just like there is 
today. There was class discrimination just like there is today. The Romans saw themselves as superior. They were the conquerors, and they ruled the world. The Jewish people sometimes saw themselves as superior because they were God's chosen people, and they worshiped the only true God, and they knew that most other people did not. But to God, all people matter. Black people matter. White people matter. Asian people matter. Hispanic people, Latino people matter. Our passage today shows how God breaks down walls that divide people through the message of the gospel. So let's look at Acts chapter 10. Uh, if you follow on your outline in your program, uh, the, first is, the first point of our passage is that God's messenger is sent to a seeker in verses 1 through 8. The seeker is in verses 1 and 2. And uh, we're going to paint a little bit of our background as we go here. In verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Caesarea was a city on the west coast of Israel. And it was a Roman seaport. And um, it was uh, Rome's military uh, command center in the land of Israel. Rome ruled Israel in, in the first century. And Cornelius was a Roman centurion. It means he had a heavy Italian accent. And he was different than the Jewish people. Um, he was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He was an enlisted man. And a centurion led a hundred people. But he was uh, a, an elite soldier. And he led the Italian Regiment. It meant that this, this uh, uh, regiment came right from Italy. And you think, well, why not? It's, they're Roman. Well, the Roman soldiers came from all over the world of all nationalities. And, th- and this group was an elite group, came from Italy. And a regiment here would be uh, up to 600 men. So he had quite a bit of responsibility. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Cornelius was a non-Jewish man. He was a Gentile, and he was a God-fearing man. He did not become a Jewish person, but he practiced many concepts of the Jewish faith, and we would call him a seeker. He is a true seeker. Um, He doesn't have a relationship with God yet. And uh, he's very religious, he's very serious, he's disciplined, he's devoted, yet he is a seeker. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. He practiced generosity, he was a man of prayer, and we might even be embarrassed uh, if we looked at our life and compared it to how he sought, the energy he sought to live in a way that was God-honoring. In verse 3, we meet the messenger. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. This is definitely a God-orchestrated event. He saw an angel of God. Angels, I've never seen an angel. Angels are very 
predominant in the book of Acts. It's a very significant time, a transitional period in the history as, as we move out of an Old Testament era into a New Testament era. And um, angels are spiritual beings. They are real. They are created by God. They are servants of God. They're primarily messengers, and that's what, um, what we see on this occasion. So the angel spoke to Cornelius personally and called him by name. We see the instruction in verses 4 through 6. Cornelius stayed, stared at him in fear. This is kind of a common response, what we see in the Bible, when angels are present, humans often become afraid. And that's why, when, like when Gabriel spoke to Mary, uh, he said, do not be afraid. And um, this was an awesome experience and for uh, Cornelius. And he said, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. His good deeds didn't save him, uh, but his good deeds was showing the heart he had. Uh, And God wants to give Cornelius more information about who he is and what he's done. So, verse 5 The angel says, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. The interesting thing about Acts chapter 10 is God is taking great pains, 48 verses, uh, to explain and to find um, Cornelius and explain how he comes to faith and what part this is going to have in the church. Send, him, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So uh, Peter is in Caesarea, and Simon the T- Tanner uh, is in Joppa. Um, verse 7 and 8, the follow-up. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So let's see the map. So uh, Caesarea is where Peter is, right on the west coast, and going down to Joppa, and um, that's where he's going to meet Cornelius. God's vision is given to his servant, verses 9 through 23. First, the vision. Now, again, God is taking great pains to bring about this meeting. And Luke sees this as a very important story for the church. Verses 9 through 16. About noon the following day, they were on their journey approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. Three men from Cornelius are headed to Joppa. Peter got up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I've been very hungry for lunch a lot of times, but I have never fallen into a trance uh, during lunch. Uh, He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth uh, by its four corners. He saw a large sheet. You know what? It probably wasn't a bed sheet. probably wasn't a king-sized sheet. It's actually probably quite a bit larger. Um, 
It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. All kinds of animals. Immediately a Jewish audience would, would have recognized that there are animals here that are appropriate for eating and there are animals here that are inappropriate for eating. Uh, they were called animals that were clean or animals that were ceremonially unclean and was not fitting for their diet. Verse 13, then a voice told him, Peter, get up and kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter is instructed to get up and kill. He disagrees. This can't be right. He says, I don't do this. I never do this. I never have. I never will. This must not be done. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter gets corrected. And um, reminded of Mark chapter 7. Peter had been with Jesus for three years. This is early in the ministry. In Mark chapter 7, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, Jesus, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, speaking to his disciples. Don't you see? And here's the point. Nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them. That's what he'd been talking about previously. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their their stomach, and then out of their body. He's talking about food. Um, He's saying food can't defile the body. Next slide. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods unclean. So this is something that Jesus instructed earlier in his ministry. You have to remember this is a transitional period because they were under the Old Testament law, and then Jesus is making this change And they don't know about it down in Jerusalem. They haven't accepted it. And uh, this is something that's, this this new concept is very new. And Peter is operating under his knowledge of the Old Testament. Verse 20 went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And Jesus' point here, it's all about the heart. It's all about what's in the heart. Sin comes from within. Sin comes from the heart. Evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from the inside and defile a person. And so this was something that Jesus had already taught. And this is something that Peter really hadn't uh, picked up on yet. And then verse 15, uh, verse 16, this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And so uh, God took the time with Peter to do this three times, the sheet coming down from heaven. It's probably like a, more like a tarp coming down from heaven and um, like confusing for Peter. God does it again, still confusing for Peter. God does it a third time, still confusing. And I think God is doing this for emphasis. He doesn't want Peter to doubt what has happened. He wants to be really clear for Peter You know, Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus took the time three times to come back and say, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Three times. 
And so God does this three times to repeat for Peter. So uh, we come to the invitation, verses 17 through 23. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, by the way, this would not have been easy to figure out. I don't think if I'd have had the sheet three times and I had all the Old Testament knowledge, I would have known what God wanted me to get. And Peter is thinking about this. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, he needs to think. It's not obvious. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So now Cornelius' group have arrived at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. Both Simons are there. We got Simon the Tanner and Simon Peter. So they have to clarify which Simon they want to talk to. Verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about this, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. He's still thinking about it. He's still, and you've got to give him credit for trying to figure it out. Uh, and God spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. Three men, Peter, are looking for you. So he got up. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So the instructions are clear. God is orchestrating this meeting. God affirms to Peter that these men are sent by him. Verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? That's a good question. Peter doesn't know. He, Peter's had the vision. Peter knows that God is in it. Peter's paying attention, but he still doesn't know. Verse 22, the men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous man, a God-fearing man, who is respected by all Jewish people. And it is clear that Cornelius has a very good reputation with the people that uh, serve him. And they go on to say, A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house uh, so that he could hear what you have to say. So they explained the vision. Verse 23, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now, we don't see that this is a little bit significant here because Peter, a Jewish man, just invited three Gentiles into the house to be with him. And that would be not normal. Peter is being stretched. We saw last time that he was staying with Simon the Tanner, which was a little bit of a stretch. Uh... Thirdly, God's servant, Peter, reaches out to a seeker, Cornelius, and his family. And this is uh, 23 through the end of the chapter. We see the travel of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. We learn in Acts 11 that there are six other believers, Jewish Christians, traveling with Peter. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. So, just for the sake of the map, people... Now the arrow's pointing north. They're on the road back from Joppa to Caesarea, 33 miles. The gathering, verse 24, Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. And Cornelius sees this as a very significant occasion. He wants everybody there. He wants uh, everybody to hear. He wants everybody to be at this meeting. Verse 25, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. 
Remember the very first time I, was, I read the book of Acts, and I read this passage as a brand new believer, and I was amazed to see what the scripture had to say. Uh, for some people, Peter was the very first pope, and throughout history, for centuries, people have bowed down to a pope. And Peter, right off, just recognized, hey, don't bow down to me, I'm just a man. And uh, I was fascinated about this is in the Bible. Um, Verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And Peter gets it. He's starting to get what this is all about. Uh, That's why God has sent him to Joppa. That's why God gave him the vision with the sheet. Uh, This wasn't about food. This is about people. People matter to God, and therefore they should matter to us. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask what you sent me for? Good question. Peter still doesn't know exactly what's needed at this occasion. Verse 30 through 33, we have the captive audience. This is like the preacher's dream right here. Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man shining in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. And remembered your gifts to the poor. So Cornelius explains uh, what's happened. Verse 32. Send to Joppa for Simon who's called Peter. He is the guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. It was good for you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So we have a captive audience. Everybody wants to hear what Peter has to say. All Peter has to do is to tell people the truth. All he has to do is to tell people what he knows about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. We get Peter's message in verses 34 through 43. And Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not Show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. It wasn't about dietary laws. It was about people. People matter to God. All people matter to God. Jewish people matter to God. Gentile people matter to God. Verse 35, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God will accept people from every nation. Those um, who come to him in faith. Not by works, but those who come on his terms. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, 
who is Lord of all. And there's a key concept that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. The good news came through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the Jews. He's the Lord of the Gentiles. He's the Lord of black people and white people and Asians and Hispanics and Latinos. He's the Lord of all. Verse 37, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. And so Peter now is just going to walk through the story of Jesus' life. In fact, he's really just retracing the book of Mark. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. This was Jesus' public ministry. It began uh, when he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist. How God anointed Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And so um, Peter's just retracing Jesus' public ministry of teaching, of doing miracles, of healing people, of uh, bringing freedom to people. Uh, who were uh, demonized, um, bringing freedom to people um, who were held captive. Verse 37, you know what happened throughout the province of Judea. Uh, Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter clarifies he was an eyewitness. Peter was there throughout these days. Peter observed it. He saw it firsthand. It was all true. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Peter was there. The Jewish leaders executed their Messiah by crucifixion. He hung on a cross and they saw him as accursed uh, from God. Verse 40, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. Peter was an eyewitness to the resurrection. He was present. He's now present to tell them about it, to tell what happened. Verse 41, he was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter was just saying God was selective in who Jesus appeared to. He didn't appear to all people. He could have. But he chose people to be eyewitnesses so they could tell other people. And this has been God's plan uh, ever since then, is uh, people tell other people. It's God's way. Verse 42. He commanded us, those of us who were eyewitnesses, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is appointed judge of the living and the dead. Everyone will stand before Jesus someday. You and I will stand before Jesus someday. And... As you think about it, what will you say to him on that day? And what will he say to you on that day? He is the judge. 
Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Old Testament prophets were told about Jesus. And the good news is that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. And this, let me take a minute and summarize. This is kind of like the whole main message of, of the Bible. And um, we just get a little nutshell here from from. Peter in this message, and when you look at the scriptures, um, very simply, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, we all are in that same boat, we all are sinners, the Bible says there are consequences for sin, the wages of sin is death, Uh, Romans 6.23, and there the Apostle Paul speaks of eternal death. There are consequences. Jesus called that eternal death. It's not just physical death, but it's separation from God for an eternity, and Jesus called it hell. And the good news is is that Christ died for our sins, and that's what Peter observed, and that's what Peter uh, got to be an eyewitness to, that Christ died for our sins. Um, We deserve the death, and he took our place. And that's hard to understand sometimes, that he stood in for us. He was our substitute. He took our uh, our penalty and put it on himself, and he paid for it when he died on the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was because of his love for us. And very simply, God has one requirement, and that is to have faith in Christ, is to believe Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In verse 44 through 46, we see a conversion. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Peter was explaining about Jesus, about who Jesus is, about what he's done for us. And um, right during Peter's talk, People who were there got it. It just kind of washed over them the truth of what was being said. And you know what? Um, The Bible doesn't say you have to say a prayer to be saved. The Bible says you need to believe, to have faith, to have trust in Jesus Christ. And um, all we, we just have a capsule of the story here is that While Peter was speaking, while they were embracing that message, the Holy Spirit came on them. And um, all who heard the message. And today when a person believes, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, um, on September 29th, 1974, at 4.30 in the morning, when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled my life. And... It was when the Holy Spirit came into my life that my life began to change and I began to focus on becoming the person that God wanted me to become. Um, And the Holy Spirit comes to, to be our help and to be our strength and to be our guide. Verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Circumcised believers are those Jewish Christians those, those uh, 
Christians who have a Jewish background, they, they practice the Jewish faith. They, they have a Jewish heritage. They have a Jewish ethnicity. And um, they're astonished. How could this be that the whole, God would want to give Gentiles the Holy Spirit? And um, so this is like a, something very new and significant. Even the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Who would have thought? Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. This is the same thing that happened in Acts chapter 2. When Peter preached, 3,000 people believed. And um, in Acts chapter 2, those who had been in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other languages. And they were speaking in tongues or languages. They were always known languages, praising God. Cornelius and his family, Cornelius and his household had come to believe and the Holy Spirit uh, came on them and they were speaking in tongues. Jesus spoke about what was to come back in Matthew chapter 8. He says, this is early in the ministry. He said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, even from the west coast from the east and the west, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is expanding outside the borders of Israel that that heaven will be for people of many nations. This is going to be kind of a new concept for the disciples. They don't understand it all back when he's talking about this in Matthew 8. Heaven is available to all people who put their trust in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul speaks of um, this whole concept of the Holy Spirit coming on people and speaking in tongues. Verse 21, it says, In the law it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people but even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, eight, uh, eight century before the birth of Christ. And God is saying to his own people, Israel, that there's a time coming when I'm going to try to speak to you with foreign lips, with other languages. And um, shortly, Syria is going to invade Israel, and it'll be a judgment of God, and the the Syrians will speak judgment on Israel when they come in and take off uh, several thousand people, hold them captive. Jump now to the New Testament, to the Apostle Paul at the time of the church. He goes on to say, verse 22, it is the Apostle Paul who's using the Isaiah 28 passage Because there is another fulfillment that Paul refers to right here. Tongues, then, are for a sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. The Apostle Paul is saying tongues, the ability to speak languages supernaturally, not yet learned, is a sign. Signs, remember, authenticate the message and the messenger. 
what happens here in Acts chapter 10 is um, these Gentile believers, these brand new believers speak in tongues, even with the Jewish believers present, it is a sign for the nation Israel who are unbelievers. It's a, it's a message. It's a attention getter. It's to Israel. Wake up. Pay attention, Israel. You missed the Messiah. That's how Paul is using it in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. It's a sign for unbelievers. What you have in the, New, in the New Testament period is all over the Mediterranean. This is what's going to develop shortly through the Apostle Paul's ministry. All over the Mediterranean, you're going to have new churches and pockets of Gentiles coming to faith, speaking in tongues, Jewish audiences there with synagogues, and it's a message to the Jewish people, wake up, Israel. Wake up. You missed the Messiah. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. Baptism, verses 47 through 48. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. On Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, people heard Peter's sermon. About 3,000 believed. And they were baptized. That was the order. They believed first, and then they were baptized. And so Cornelius and his family have believed. And Peter says, what keeps them from being baptized? Verse 48. So he, Peter, ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Baptism was like the public declaration of their brand new faith in Christ. It symbolizes their new life in Christ. It's a picture of being forgiven, having been cleansed from sin by their faith in Jesus. Um, So, a couple of lessons. A couple of lessons here. First lesson. God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. God cared about Cornelius enough to orchestrate. You know, God could have saved Cornelius the same way he did uh, Saul of Tarsus on the encounter on the road to Damascus, just sort of um, struck uh, Saul, knocked him to the ground, got his attention, scared him to death, and Saul believed. God could have done that with Cornelius. But God takes great pains to orchestrate Uh, Cornelius and Peter getting together so Peter can communicate the gospel and uh, for Cornelius to receive the gospel and for people to recognize that the gospel is for non-Jewish people. God does not show favoritism. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Asian lives matter. Hispanic, Latino lives matter. People matter to God Therefore, they should matter to us. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son that whoever, that's the key word there, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Um, Jesus died for everyone. 
and um, it's for anyone who believes. The gospel is for anyone who believes. And as I was thinking about, if I, if I would have added another lesson, it would have been this. It is possible to be religious and devout and still not have a relationship with God. It's exactly where Cornelius was. He was a good man. He was a religious man. He was a man you probably would have liked, but he didn't have a relationship with God. He probably went to synagogue. Just like people go to church today, good people who try to be have good lives and even go to church. And it's possible for a person to be good and religious and not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The second lesson, that's really the second lesson, but this is the second lesson on my list. God desires Christ followers to be obedient and faithful in giving witness for Christ. Um, Peter had a bias about people. Peter discriminated in his own mind, like many people. He waffled at times under peer pressure about what he thought about the whole thing and of the gospel being for Gentiles. But Peter responded here in obedience when God gave him the opportunity to be a witness. Remember what a witness does? Tells the truth about what they know. Tells the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Acts 1.8. This is what Peter is living out. Jesus told his followers way back in the beginning, and we said this was kind of an outline to the whole book of Acts, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That happened in Acts chapter 2, and you will be my witnesses. We said that was uh, a prophecy and a command. You shall be my witnesses. Tell the truth about who I am and what I've done. It starts in Jerusalem. It will expand outside of Jerusalem to the province of Judea, which is like the county around Jerusalem. And then to Samaria. That's uh, an unpopular place where there are social outcasts there and to the ends of the earth. And that's what's going to happen in the book of Acts. And Peter is being a faithful witness. And that's what God wants from his followers today. He wants you and I just to tell people what we know. We can't tell people what we don't know, but we can tell people what we do know. Who is Jesus? What has he done for us? Thirdly, God desires all believers to be uh, baptized as believers. God desires all believers to be baptized as believers. This is Jesus' desire for his church. Uh, When Cornelius believed, he got baptized. Just like in Acts chapter 2, when 3,000 people came to faith, they got baptized. Just like every case in the book of Acts so far. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. These were Jesus' instructions for his leadership of the church. He said, therefore, this is before he ascends, this is after the resurrection. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's sending them. They are to go. They are to make disciples. That's going to include evangelism. And when people come to faith, that's going to include discipleship. It's going to include training them and teaching them. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's like the first major step of obedience, to be baptized. This is the desire of Jesus' heart. He's the head of the church. For his followers to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's Christian baptism. That's different than John's baptism. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Everything. And surely I'm with you always. A promise that he would be with us to the very end of the age. So being baptized was like the first step. There are people here who need to take that first step um, as a part of your obedience. There's a, in our culture today, there is a lot of confusion about the concept. In the, in the first century, people usually got baptized right away, almost immediately. We, we have a lot more confusion today about this whole concept. And it takes time for people to process this. What does the Bible say? And um, if you have questions about this, I'd love to talk to you. We have a baptism coming on August 7th, and it would be a great time for some of you um, who would like to be baptized to be baptized. Let's, uh, let's stand together for prayer. Father, we uh, just... Thank you this morning as we look at Acts chapter 10, and we're grateful, God, that uh, you are not a respecter of persons, persons, that you don't show favoritism, that all people can have access to you, and that you invite and you welcome people from every ethnicity and every social uh, tier or class. You welcome people of all backgrounds. You welcome people from all kinds of failure and sin to come to Jesus in faith. And we praise you for that, and we thank you for that. And Father, it's my prayer that we who call ourselves followers of Christ, that we might be faithful witnesses, that we might, um, like Peter, when, when we're led for an opportunity, to uh, speak for you, that we take advantage of that and we represent you well, that we tell people what we know about Jesus and what he's done for us. And God, this morning, I just, um, we pray for our world and we think of the pain and heartache around the world and in our own country and the hatred, God, um, we recognize that our world needs you. Our world needs to be reconciled to you because most of our world is at enmity with you and our enemies of the cross of Christ. And I pray, Father, for reconciliation. I pray that we as believers might be ministers of reconciliation, that we might represent you well, that we might represent the love of Jesus Christ. I pray for those uh, who are hurting today, who have lost um, loved ones. Um, I pray for your comfort. I pray for love to reach out 
to those people who are hurting. I pray against the hatred, Lord, that you would tear down strongholds the enemy builds against minds that produces hatred and division and creates barriers. I thank you, God, for law enforcement. I thank you for the law enforcement that we have at the bridge for those people who serve you. And I pray especially for those uh, law enforcement officers at the bridge. I pray for your protection upon them. I pray um, that you will watch over and, and keep them alert. And may they serve you well and represent you well. I pray, Father, for um, those in Dallas this morning who have lost uh, loved ones, and may, um, may your love and may your comfort be poured out. Thank you, God, that you are not a respecter of persons, that you do not show favoritism. May we be like you, for Jesus' sake. Amen.